0: Well, as we set off the top of the service today, uh, it's Memorial Day. It's Memorial Day weekend, the unofficial start of summer, the chance to fire up the grill and cook some hot dogs and hamburgers and enjoy freedom. But But it's more than that. It's really one of the most unique holidays uh, that you will find all around the world. A a country that takes an entire weekend, takes a whole day off, shuts a lot of things down in order to remember those who paid the ultimate price, who gave their lives and sacrificed so they could uh, give us freedom, so they could give us life. They gave up their lives so that we could have Life, and these last few weeks, we've kind of talked about that principle of sacrifice and submission, and it's been hard. It's been difficult to talk about uh, submitting to uh, civil authorities and to authority in society, and it's been difficult to talk about submitting at work, especially to bosses who mistreat us. And it's been difficult to talk about submitting and honoring those in marriage, our spouses. It's been tough to think about where, where we're at. And there's a reason why that's hard. See, we love to say thank you to those who sacrifice, to those who submit. We don't love when people come to us and say, you have to sacrifice, you have to submit, you have to give up your freedoms, you have to give up the things that you want in your life, or you have to give up your life. Um, We don't like it because we want to be able to sacrifice on our own terms. We don't want to be able to be told that. And so we don't like it when people tell us to sacrifice. But even Christians have struggled with this idea. As uh, the question of reopening our buildings and restarting in-person gatherings, getting together again on Sundays has come up for all churches all around the world. Some churches are really divided over whether other churches are doing the right thing or not. They have approached what they're doing and said, we're doing it this way. And if you're not doing it our way, then you're wrong. And how dare you do it that way? There's been a real level of, of disunity that's actually concerning uh, to me as a pastor, as a church leader. I have seen this uh, where Christians have taken, you know, little, little shots at each other about the way other churches, the way other leaders are handling this question of getting back together for worship services and doing them in person. Um, We've shown a lot of disunity and disrespect towards other Christians and church leaders uh, over this question. The other thing that Christians do that we kind of struggle with this idea of submission is the fact that we'd rather just walk away from people who treat us like this? We'd rather walk away from governments who do this. We want to, uh, you know, stand up against them. We we want to just walk away from them. Uh, we want to walk away from those bosses, and sometimes we even want to walk away from our marriages. Um, Christians will do this, and so for Peter to come and say as Christians, you can submit for the purposes of the gospel is is still pretty revolutionary today. And it's based on a principle that Jesus lived in his life. And that principle is this, that suffering for the purposes of God will always accomplish something good in the hands of God. And it won't just happen for the world. The good just won't happen to the for the world. The good will happen to the individual who gives the sacrifice. In Jesus's case, when he died, he took on all the sins of the world. That was the sacrifice. And of course, the reward for doing that was that God raised him from the dead and gave him a name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He was given all the authority in the world. And Christian, the same is true for us. That when we surrender, when we submit to others and allow our suffering to be used for the purposes of God, if God allows that suffering, then you can know that he is not only going to use it for the good of the world, But for your good as well, you will gain something because of your sacrifice. Now, the question is what? And we often focus on the what's coming in the sweet by and by. You know, we're going to be given a crown of glory. We'll take those crowns and we'll lay them at Jesus' feet. But what about now? What about the things that we gain now? What do we gain out of that? Well, Peter says... There's two things that we gain if we focus in the right areas of what it means to submit, of what submission actually looks like internally and externally. If you have your Bibles, turn with me in them to 1 Peter chapter 3 and take a look at verse 8. It's there we read, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate. Be humble. Now, these commands would have been received really well from uh, the readers that Peter was talking to, these Christians that were kind of, you know, experiencing some persecution because of their faith. They weren't worshiping the emperor like everyone else was in society. And so they were starting to lose their reputation. They were starting to be ridiculed in public. They were starting to lose. Uh, economic opportunity, society, status, those kinds of things. And they would have had no problem with this list except when they got to the word humble. Because in this time, in this era, to be humble was to say that I'm a weak person and I can't stand up for myself. And the reaction would have been that we are How can you ask us to have this kind of attitude of humility? Because if we can't stand up for ourselves, then we'll never gain in society. We've got to be able to put other people in their place and fight for our rightful spot. And we've got to be able to do that for the gospel, he says. But these are kinds of internal things that Peter is saying that you and I need to have. And the thing that we need to recognize about these verses is this— It is easier to think that we're doing them than to actually be doing them. And so he gives us a a qualifier, a metric to say, here's how to know that you have these kinds of attitudes, the right kinds of attitudes that produce uh, actions, sorry, uh, the kind of actions that would produce... Uh, these attitudes of being like-minded and sympathetic, and loving one another, and compassionate, and humble—not worrying about what your status is, and whether people are trying to put you down or not—he says one of the thing, one of the ways you know is this: Do not repay evil with evil, or insult with insult. Don't give to people what they give to you. Instead, do something else. On the contrary. Repay evil with blessing, submit, sacrifice, surrender. And I know this is the the love that we have. We love it when we do it voluntarily. But when people tell us to sacrifice and submit, we want to fight back. And Peter says, but here's why you do this. Because you're going to gain something amazing. Look at what he says. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. How does that work? How do these blessings show up in our lives? How? Why should Christians? Why should Christians repay evil with blessing, Well, he says that because when you give a blessing, you receive them. When you give a blessing, you receive a blessing. So what is that blessing? He goes on to say it's two things. The first blessing that we receive is this. When we actively bless others, you receive a life you enjoy. You receive a life you enjoy. Look at uh, verse 10. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Christian, this is the life that that you've always wanted. This is the life that you didn't know you wanted and didn't know you could have. You see, this is talking about the good days, the kind of life that you would love to have, and maybe you don't know it. So what are these good days that Peter is talking about? Well, you can see what those good days are from looking at the things that Peter says, don't do this, do this. Don't do this, do this. And and the first thing he says that we should not do is speak evil, specifically speak deceitfully. Now, deceitfully is uh, speaking with deception, is intentionally believing or persuading yourself or someone else that something that is false is actually true. And instead, he says, seek the truth. Be a truth speaker, regardless of how that makes you look, because it's the truth that sets you free. Jesus himself would say that in John 8. When you know the truth, then the truth is what sets you free. And the truth is good. Truth allows you to be and become who you've always wanted to be. You need the truth in order to live well. You know this because you go to the doctor. Or I hope you go to the doctor. And the doctor at an annual visit might have to give you a report that you don't want to hear, some numbers that are low, some warnings that you need to listen to and you need to make adjustments to your life. And first of all, you think, well, who are you to tell me this? And then, of course, you look at the diplomas and you see all the things on the wall that say they're an expert in these things and here's the things that you can do. And I'm not saying they're perfect. I'm just saying they're a better expert at uh, medical issues and physical health than you are. Otherwise, they'd be coming to you and asking you for advice, not the other way around. But we don't like it when the doctor comes and says those things. It feels bad when they tell us the truth sometimes. And sometimes we feel that telling the truth is just going to make things worse. It makes things feel worse. But what is actually worse? Hearing the truth, even when it's tough news to hear, tough truth to hear, Or not hearing it all and having it glossed over. You don't even have the option then of knowing what it is you need to do in order to become physically healthy. And here's the thing that that means for us when we become speakers of truth versus people who deceive, who speak deception. It means that we have the potential to be spiritually healthy as well. What's true is for the physical is true for the spiritual. And so we need the truth in order to be free spiritually, to become, to know where we need to go in Jesus Christ, to become like Him, to pursue Him and follow Him, even when it's hard. You know, these last few weeks I had been kind of looking online at what other churches were doing. I had actually become pretty jealous of them, of what they were doing. And I was wondering, is anything that I'm doing as a pastor really making an impact I'm not hearing those kinds of things that uh, they're seeing. I'm not seeing the likes and so on. Or I had that idea, it didn't work out. Uh, They have that idea, it did work out. And I was jealous of them. And so I was kind of having a little pity party in my quiet time with God about that. And God said, well, you're, you're being selfish. (laughs) And I remember uh, telling a a pastor friend of mine this story that this is what God had kind of nudged me about. And the pastor friend said, oh, did you do what I do in those circumstances? Did you ask God if there was someone else up there that you could talk to? I felt like that. I I felt it. I didn't want to hear that news. But it reopened my eyes to who I was becoming. He gave me the truth so that I could then begin to take steps to move away from that and begin to see what God was doing as not a competition. And it wasn't about my ministry, but it was about God growing his kingdom, growing Christ's kingdom in the world. And I needed that. So we need the truth. And so one of the things that I would suggest to you about what it means to be a pursuer of truth who speaks truth is to be inquisitive, to always be learning, to be quick to listen, to be slow to speak, to ask questions more than give your truthful opinions. And that's helpful because that will help you stay away from giving declarative hot takes, which is how all news organizations now really focus on how to make money. They give a hot take in their headline that makes you read their article and it either makes you outraged or more confident so that you can say, I was right and you were wrong. Or how dare you say I'm wrong and how dare you say you're right and I'm going to fight you. It's what gets them clicks and views and things like that. It gets them the interaction that we want but or that they want. But it's not the kind of interaction that we want. So stay away from the hot takes because hot takes ultimately lead to some really poorly constructed conspiracy theories, always stay inquisitive, always be pursuing the truth. But he also says that you don't just speak the truth, you pursue peace. He says that we are to pursue peace. In other words, be a peacemaker in our lives. Seek peace, pursue peace in our earthly relationships. Ken Sandy wrote a book a number of years ago called The Peacemaker, where he detailed what it meant to practice biblical peacemaking in the world. I I found a clip where he shares what these uh, elements are. He calls them the four G's. It was from a conference of European Christian thinkers a number of years ago. Uh, Why don't we take a look at that clip and discover what the four
1: G's are? What we've done in the book, The Peacemaker, is basically uh, we look at four primary principles to apply in conflict. We call them the four G's. Glorify God, get the log out of your own I, um, gently restore, and go and be reconciled. And so the glorify God is the most important one, is uh, when we're in conflict, usually it's all about me, what I want, what I think I deserve, how can I be vindicated. And we need to shift the focus off ourself, get it back onto God and just basically be saying, Lord, how can I please and honor you in this situation? How do I draw attention to the excellence of your character? How do I display the reality of the gospel in my life today? That people would look at me and go, wow, there must be a God for you to be doing what you just did, because I know that's not how you normally behave. Um, So glorifying God is the first one. Uh, Getting the log out of your own eye, of course, Jesus teaching in Matthew 7, where he says you can't get the law lo- or the speck out of someone else's eye if you've got a log in your own. How do we take responsibility for our contribution to a conflict? Um, and then the fourth one, or third one I should say, is gently restore. How can I go to a brother or sister who's trapped in sin, may not even see it, and and just very gently help that person to see that something they said or did has actually offended either me or someone else? It's put tension in a relationship. And then the fourth one, the go and be reconciled. How do we actually forgive one another? How do we negotiate um, substantive issues? Um, you know, Where do we send our kids to school? Do we put money into this new mission effort? Whatever. Um, so how do we both resolve the personal issues, restore the relationship, and then also resolve those substantive issues that we've been looking at that cause the friction in the first place?
0: You know, that's really powerful and it kind of lines up with what i know about people you see people at the end of their life don't say gosh i wish i had really gotten revenge on that person before i died what they say is i really wish i had a chance to make things right to make amends to to fix a relationships and, and fix a relationship with someone and and sometimes they they don't Die And doctors will help them, instead of being comfortable, it will help them fight uh, to live longer, even though it's incredibly uncomfortable, so that they can have a chance to make things right. You and I, we know the value of being a peacemaker. Imagine having that at the root of who you are. You pursue peace. You pursue truth in your life. You have those two things. You're always learning. You're always changing. You're always being transformed. You're always headed in the direction that God is asking you to go, even if there are course corrections along the way. And you have very little or um, uh, very limited relational stressors in your life because you're always determined to keep things right with people even if they do you wrong when you do them wrong when you sin against them when they sin against you you're looking to make amends and make those things right can you imagine what life would be like for someone who's always if you're always growing in god and you always have relational peace with others isn't that the kind of life that we we never knew we could have we can have it if we choose to be a blessing to others when we actively bless others We gain a life that we never knew we wanted. But there's another blessing, and Peter says that there's something else that we gain besides a life that we never knew we wanted, a life that we really must have if we're going to enjoy life, good days. And that's this, that when you actively bless others, you gain God's good attention. Look at chapter 3, verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You gain God's good attention. What do, what do I mean by that? Well. God is interested in you. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God is interested in you. And God loves you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't have to earn his love. And what that means is, God will not love you anymore because of who you are or what you do. And he does not love you any less for who you are or what you do. He loves you infinitely, more than you could possibly imagine. But what Peter is talking about here Is the pleasure of God. And that's not based on who God is, but it's based on who we are before God. God can be pleased with us and God can be displeased with us. And when God is pleased with us, He is attentive to us. When He's displeased with us, His face is turned against us, is what He says. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And that's a very fascinating concept, that we can gain God's good attention rather than his face being against us, simply by being a blessing to others. Here's what that looks like. Um, uh, my wife works at Strong Memorial Hospital, and they have something there called Strong Stars. Strong Stars are a way for uh, fellow employees to recognize other employees about something that they've done that's above and beyond what their job description requires. It's a way for a a customer, a way for a patient, a way for a, a business partner to recognize that a particular employee has just gone way above and beyond the call of duty and deserves star status. Now, this is a lot different than getting that you know those really treasured employee of the month plaques that you'd put see on a wall in a restaurant or something. It's a lot different than that because these strong stars go in your employee file, in your employee record, and then they get referenced. So imagine you were an employee at Strong And you and another uh, teammate were up for the same promotion. You both had the same experience. You both had the same skill sets. And you both worked to the best of your ability. You both come highly recommended. But you have a number of strong stars in your file. And the other person doesn't. Even though you're both incredibly qualified, your bosses, your superiors are going to look at those strong stars and be more favorable to giving you the job, to giving you the promotion, over your teammate. That's what Peter is saying about God's pleasure. He's going to have his his attention on you in a good way, rather than his face against you, set against you. You know, if if you're a parent, you know what this is like, and you know if you ever grew up, then you know what this is like. And I kid, but uh, if if you remember what it was. Growing up, you knew what it was like to have your parents' favor. It's not that they didn't love you any more or less. You just knew that they were more inclined to answer a favor that you would want, something that you don't need to have, something that you'd just like to have. They're more inclined to say yes for good behavior rather than evil behavior. And as parents, you know what this is like. Suppose your child is... um, disobedient. They don't do their chores, they don't do their homework, and they get into a fight with their sister. And at dinner, they say, hey, can we have some ice cream for dessert? Say, no, I don't think so. I'm not inclined to do that because of your behavior. And conversely, imagine your child did do all their chores, did do all their homework, and even helped their sister with their homework and their chores. And then they came to you and said, hey, would it be okay if we had some ice cream after dinner? <laughs> You'd be inclined to say, ice cream after dinner? We're having ice cream for dinner. You want to be showing them a blessing because you're inclined to do it because of their good behavior. That's what Peter is saying, how God looks at us, how God takes pleasure in us. It's not based on his love and what and uh, what we do. It's based on his pleasure that's found in how we behave before him. And when we decide to take the second most important commandment seriously, to love our neighbors as ourselves, regardless of how they've treated us, then God looks on that and finds pleasure in that. And he's more inclined to answer our prayers because of that. So we gain some incredible benefits We gain a life that we didn't know we wanted when we actively bless others, especially those who have wounded us. And we gain the pleasure of God that we never thought possible when we actively bless others, even though they may not deserve it. Because we We get what we give in life because we reap what we sow, because we reap what we plant. We can be a blessing because when we give a blessing, we will receive a blessing. A life that we enjoy and the good attention from our good Heavenly Father. Here's a few questions for you to discuss in your growth group and with your family. Uh, as the service closes today. Question one. Share an example of a person who was wronged by someone else and chose to be a blessing to the person who wronged them. Question two. In what ways do you pursue truth in your life rather than deception or self-deception? Question three. Which of the four G's, glorify God, get the plank out of your own eye, gently restore, Go and be reconciled. Do you find challenging these days? And question four. In what way can you be a blessing this week to someone who may not deserve that blessing? Let me pray for you. Jesus, when someone comes and says, you need to surrender, you need to sacrifice, you need to submit, our natural inclination is to fight back or push back, or just walk away. And Lord, you say there's something better. And when we struggle with being a blessing, to doing good instead of evil, to not repay the uh, others the way that they have treated us, but to be a blessing, to go above and beyond them, Lord, would you motivate us by reminding us that when we are a blessing, we gain a blessing that we gain the life that we never thought we needed and we gain the attention from you that we never thought possible Lord would you remind us and motivate us to be a blessing because of the blessings that we receive we pray in Jesus name Amen